think of whenever any one of us takes the, the pulpit up here, there's a number. I'm, I literally am taking the pulpit right now. I don't <laughs> but, you know, we, um, there's a number of different reasons, you know, to convict, to encourage, to inspire, sometimes to humor. Um, I, I think that the, the hope that I want us to have this morning is that our eyes are open further. Um, and I think that that can kind of help frame this because I, I think that the, the topic where I'm going with this could be challenging for, for many of us. And it's very possible you hear the wrong message. Those are always fun. I got to tell you, I, I have a, a fair amount of a fear and consternation with like little notes to myself about warning, <laughs> warning. Um, because it can be misunderstood with, with where I'm, I'm going with this. And, um, and I, I hope it, it, it's clear uh, by the time I'm, I'm done. Is that enough of a disclaimer? If you have any complaints, Brant and Jim are the elders. You can email them. <laughs> they, can, uh, they can take me back to the woodshed. Um, there, there's a joke that I, I wanted to, to share. This Emo Phillips is an unusual comedian, but he, he, this is actually referred to as the, the world's best uh, religion joke. Once I saw this guy on a bridge about to jump, I said, don't do it. He said, nobody loves me. I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. I said, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, a Christian. I said, me too. Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. What franchise? <laughs> he said, Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region or Nor Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern region? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist, Great Lakes Region. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist, Great Lakes Region, Council of 1879, or Northern Conservative Baptist, Great Lakes Region, Council of 1912. He said, Northern Conservative Baptist, Great Legion, Lakes Region, Council of 1912. I said, die heretic, and I pushed him over. <laughs> See, you were going with it. So... With that unusual intro to a sermon, <laughs> so I want you to know uh, the sacred community that we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks is diverse, and that is a good thing. And not only is the, is the sacred community diverse, we're also diverse in the ways that we are diverse. You may not believe me on this. I didn't realize it was Martin Luther King weekend. <laughs> so whenever I wanted to talk about diversity, uh, there's, of course, racial, cultural diversity, which we are a big part of and we celebrate. Um, that's not the main thrust of what we're talking about today. However, you can join Lee and I, Melissa, and I th hopefully some others. We're going to be doing the Martin Luther King March starting uh, today, 2.30 at the Food Line. So you can join us for that. That's going to be right down the road, 2.30 today. But uh, there's a number of things I want to underscore today that talks about the diversity that we have in this room here, of which that is a part of it, but it's so much broader than that as well. Because all of us are not one thing. None of us are one thing. We have our testimonies, we have our history, we have our families, we have our culture, we have our traumas, we have our experiences, we have our lessons, we have our understandings, we have our wisdom. And we bring all of that into the room together. So we, in this room, we're diverse in our experiences, we're diverse in our understandings, and the gifts that we have in our purpose, in our manifestations, in our callings. So because I've got a whole lot of words to say here today, here's the conclusion. <laughs> that which unites us is greater still. All right? So 
Y'all can go. <laughs> Great seeing you today. Um, in fact, here's the thing. I think that there's a worldly understanding that diversity polarizes us. In the world, diversity can bring us away from each other. But under the lordship of Christ, diversity is a celebration. It's a strength. It's something that is a defining characteristic that if it is lacking, we are, quite frankly, just not the kingdom of God. We, we, we're pretending. We're making our own social clubs. We're making our, our own understandings. We're, we're celebrating ourselves and our stories, whatever that might be, without actually representing what the kingdom of God looks like. So are we, as a sacred community, about the kingdom of God or about any of these other numerous things that we might think, oh, that's a good reason I'd like to get together? Uh, Karis is, is at the age in, in high school where she's making clubs. Do you all know how many clubs there are in high schools? Oh, my goodness. They have clubs about clubs. There, there's all these things. And anytime you want to have a new club, you can go and, and you can start your own. It can be the, the same thing or a new thing. And all these things exist. And there's such a diversity of them that at a certain point, you're like, well, what's the point? Is this the, the Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? You know, at what point in time are we dividing ourselves unnaturally when we are actually being called together? So that's the conclusion of the matter. <laughs> The kingdom reality that our diversity isn't something to overcome, but something that strengthens us. So let's talk about gifts. In the vineyard, we have a working knowledge of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We are called heretical for some of that understanding by others in the same church. Yeah. Did you know this? <coughs> you probably knew this. <laughs> have you ever been to a church where everyone is a prophet? I actually haven't because I don't think they would function very well, right? Have you ever been in, in a church where everybody is a pastor? Again, no, because it actually wouldn't function very well. You can see these things spin up and you can see people trying to do that, but that's not a model of what the kingdom of God is. The sacred community cannot exist when everybody thinks that we all have to be the same thing, the same way, week in, week out, and that's our story. We, have to, we, we understand this naturally when we begin working it out, but yet we feel this tendency to, to try to do these things in a way that kind of makes us feel better about who we might be individually. So, 1 Corinthians 12, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there's given the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines." think the problem is we can understand this, but when we use the word diversity, it brings so much baggage to the room. The diversity that we're talking about today is the diversity that we have in this room, not a diversity of our Lord, all right? And that has to be understood. We're talking about ourselves and not who he is. There's churches that I, I, I know have made statements such as, you know, we're going to consider our church a, a cancer-free zone. Have you ever heard anybody say things like that? Now, th th it's a wonderful hope and aspiration, and I can understand why you, you want to do this. Now, the problem comes, what about when somebody in that church experiences cancer? Or what about when they have a family member who does? You, you have a few choices in that matter then. Well, I guess I'm not a part of that church. 
or I guess God doesn't love me because this is now my story. This is now part of my trauma. This is now my experience. And so if this church, if, the, if God loves this church so much to declare that there cannot be cancer in this room and yet the doctors tell me there is, how do I deal with that, right? And so what we see is we see churches self-select into a story and they kind of fit that narrative then because that's this, this narrative that they're telling themselves and it kind of forms around that. And so we make these churches by our own ambition often instead of embracing the fullness of what is in the room. I think a good pastor, I think what a good church, a, a healthy community looks like is understanding who the Lord has gathered together, listening to our stories, listening to our, our, our joint understanding and sharpening each other, humbling ourselves, saying that my understanding of this whole thing is not the only understanding that matters. Tell me how you got here. Tell me, tell me how this scripture has mattered to you over the years. Help me understand from your point of view, how does healing work? What have you experienced of that? And now let me share with you my testimony as well, that we can all be of us become more Christ-like because there's one Lord over all, that all of us should help encourage each other to a better understanding of who the Lord is. So diversity is a need. I remember as a kid discovering Swiss cake rolls. You all know those little Debbie cakes? I honestly thought, man, if everything in this world tasted like a Swiss cake roll, I would be so happy for the rest of my life. They hurt my, they're nasty now. <laughs> I don't know if they changed or I changed or both, but this, this idea of like, if everything could be this thing, then I would need nothing else ever again, right? This idea that, that we can have one thing that's kind of the, the penultimate, the, the, the best thing that it could be, and we're gonna live in that, that blessed reality for the rest of our days. It's not quite the way that, that it's the healthiest for us. Remember as a uh, kid, I read a survival story. It's very fascinating. I think the book Hatchet kind of spurred me on, on that path. But it was a dark tale about the Antarctic expedition of 1911 to 1914. I have a picture of the guy right here, Douglas Mawson. If you see there in the bottom right, I had to get the screenshot that said this, the most terrible polar exploration ever. So that, that kind of tells you where the story went. But uh, Mawson and two companions, Belgrave Ninnis and Xavier Mertz, had an ill-fated mapping journey. Ninnis died when he fell down a crevasse together with the sledge carrying most of their food supplies, and Mertz became ill and died. They had resorted to eating their sled dogs. This is poor Hugo, the husky that we have. And out of fear of starvation, they focused on eating the livers of the animals first. A little dark, I'm sorry. Don't worry about this too much. But they actually called this death by nutrition. Do you know why? They didn't lack food, but they ate so much of the liver that they had vitamin A overdose. And they killed themselves by having too much of a good thing and, and being so concerned about their health that they were trying to only do one thing. It was vitamin A overdose. In the kingdom of God, one testimony cannot save us all. One gift cannot serve us all. We need the diversity that's in this room today to be who we've been called to be. So it's a need, but it's also simply just reality. I mean, fighting this idea is just kind of ridiculous. I mean, it's just frankly, it doesn't add up when we look around and see what the Spirit of God has been doing around us, period, from the beginning. He has always been calling every tribe, tongue, nation together. He's been equipping us with all this diversity of gifts. He's been giving us different understandings to the greater good. You know this. But I have to say it, God is bigger than America. The kingdom is broader than the vineyard. Now, we know this, but do we really experience that, right? 
because any given day, we kind of retreat into our own little safe little bubbles. And any given day, we kind of feel comfortable just with my own understanding. And every any given day, it's more comfortable to just have my own thoughts in the matter. Living in a bubble or an echo chamber is so damaging because our imagination, our understanding actually shrink. They actually decrease. In America today, I think in large and small churches, I think we're hyper-focused on the pastor, the guy who's behind the pulpit. We're making these cults of personality. Good luck trying to do that in our church. But if we're talking about the sacred community, which we are, we're not talking about the pastoral role or even leadership or even theology. The sacred community is the celebration of the work of God in a community. If the sacred communities are focused, we need to understand what that means, what that looks like. Could any single person be an adequate representation of what we are as a whole? Absolutely not. If you meet one person from France, does that mean that you understand what that country is like at large? Absolutely not, right? That's the understanding. We, we are better together. We, we need each other to give a better picture of the goodness, the glory, the vastness of our God, or else we're just limiting it. It's just too small and, quite frankly, pathetic. And who wants to follow that? The diversity of the kingdom of God as a reality is just the nature of a God who's greater, who broader, more beautiful than all of this. So it turns out I'm actually preaching a three-year-long <laughs> series on this. <laughs> I had no idea. So there was a story that I was going to share. It's like, oh, I think I mentioned that before. And I searched. And uh, August 14th, 2021... Uh, the Kingdom is Diverse in the Kingdom of God series. January 23rd, 2022, in Everything on the Table, when we're talking about righteousness, same thing came up. And that surprised me in a very interesting way because this is not planned. This is nothing that I've done on purpose. Um, I looked back at them. They're, they're great sermons. Y'all should listen to them. <laughs> so I had to kind of change what I wanted to share today because I don't want to re-preach this. I actually, I don't re-preach my sermons um, I, maybe I should that be a little bit easier on I me mean, week to week. Um, you know, I've used some of the same stories and some of the same texts, but this was surprising to me, and I think it kind of matters, all right, because it's a trend. If I'm pressing into what the Holy Spirit is telling us as a church, and if this is coming up year after year after year, for whatever reason it might be, I think the Lord is saying something here for us to pay attention to. I don't think we yet, as either our church or as culture, have fully embraced and understood what this means. So, heretic or brother? Let, let's jump into something kind of strong. Let me fully say I am wading into deep waters with this. Um, the, one of the things I love whenever you're in the habit of, of preaching is that we can, uh, you, you begin seeing the, the voice of the Lord leading you and speaking things throughout the week. It's a fantastic experience. If you're ever uh, in a position of leadership of, of any group of, of believers, I think that this is the common experience. God speaks to you through some amazing ways. So I was taking a break from sermon prep, and, and I, I, I flipped from my tab of Bible Gateway to Twitter, and the top thing on it was Timothy Keller, and I actually have his, his tweet here. And he says this, um, so I have God speaks, he leads, then Timothy Keller tweets. <laughs> if A says to B, it is wrong for you to speak to someone else's experience and tell them how they ought to believe, feel, or behave, a is doing to B the thing that A is telling B not to do to others. A is negating B's experience, conviction, history, wisdom, moral values. So there's that. And then you start reading the comments. Y'all ever read comments? Oh my goodness. What have we done to ourselves? 
you can kind of imagine where the comments might go with a lot of people debating this and going back and forth. And without getting into the theology of this statement or anything, this is, I think, the polarizing part of the world that we have, right? We have arguments that are just waging war where people are calling each other heretic or brother based upon something maybe arbitrary, something that you read, and emotions are getting strong, and there's accusations flying, and we're breaking communion with each other over what is said on Twitter. So we serve the churches in Russia. That is a, a hard place to serve right now. And uh, I, I actually have one of these, um, the, 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 the wedding rings that are not metal. And the reason why I got these at first, well, I had surgery on a finger, which is one of the reasons why I'm wearing it on my left hand now. But one of the pastors that we go over there with tells me that, you know, in Russia, they wear their wedding rings on their right hand. So what the pastors do is they have their wedding ring on their left hand for, you know, when they're in the estates, then they have one on the right hand, just to make sure everybody knows I'm married, right? Because otherwise it's confusing. The cultures are different. And, you know, they don't have Christmas when we have Christmas. Do you know that? It's been very confusing. You, I write to the Russian pastors on, like, December 24th and say Merry Christmas, and they're like, it's not January yet. And you're like, oh, that's right. They're orthodox. They have a different understanding of this. They have a different church calendar. They celebrate things in a different way and a different understanding of these things. So it's hard. One of my favorite stories about early missionaries to Africa talked about how they were struggling to grow. And they were told, you know, you come here and you tell us that we have to wear a tie. It is way too hot to wear a shirt and a tie. Why would God require that? And you invite me to this square building. Well, square building is very limiting. If, if, if God is here, why would it not be round as that expresses creation, the world, the sun, the earth? It just makes more sense that we would find him in this infinite circle, and it's beautiful and wonderful in that way. When the Jesuit missionaries went to China, they put on these robes that the Buddhist monks were wearing that showing, showing that they were religious people and scholars. Some of them were critiqued and some of them were excommunicated before the church saw that this actually helped, that people understood oh, you are a learned person. You do have something to teach me, and, and I want to listen to that. The thing is, church, we have been pushing culture, even Christian culture, Christendom, instead of the gospel. But it gets more serious than that. Do you know that our, our Bible has diversity in it? you know that there are four Gospels? you know that people have been trying to understand, trying to get this, this definitive history of the life of Jesus Christ by collapsing these four into one and trying to make this thing work, and it's hard. We have four Gospels in our Bible. One doesn't suffice. Two doesn't suffice. Three doesn't suffice. Four Gospels from people who walked and knew him and who lived that with him at the same time because that's a better representation of what the experience was at the time. Do you know how many canons there are in the Christian church today? Oh, see, yeah, some of you know. <laughs> I, have a, I have a picture of this. And what, if, if you, uh, it's the one that looks like green, it's the one that has all the slides on it. So take solace all right, on how much of this overlaps, all right? Our canon is wonderful and beautiful and, and powerful and everything, but we've got the Western tradition. We have the Eastern Orthodox tradition. We have the Oriental Orthodox tradition, and then there's the churches of the East, and there are different traditions, and they're not the same. Now, there's a whole lot that overlaps, but they are not the same. Even in our Bible that we have in the Protestant churches, we were just reading this morning James. James and Paul 
seem to be a little bit at odds with each other, and they don't, they're not actually at odds with each other, but that perspective helps to shape out and understand, with our own limited understanding, what the gospel is really trying to say here. We don't concern ourselves much with this in a week-to-week basis because for us in our tradition, it is settled, and beautifully so. Most of our interactions don't require this. I went to my grandfather's funeral, though, and um, they know I'm pastor, and they wanted me to do a reading, and they gave me a, a passage from Romans to read. My cousins read from Maccabees and Wisdom and Judith. Your Bible probably doesn't have those. And I know that there's a lot of enmity still in the world between Catholic and Protestant. And there's a lot of divorce and, and understanding on what that means. And then a lot of claims of, of, of heretic and not and brother and sister. And our world has seen so much suffering and death and loss. I myself have had strong feelings about this and what it means about the word of God and what is true and what is right and what we can count upon and what is uh, an erosion of it. What's the dilution of it? What, what spreads confusion rather than strengthens it? But my goodness, there are so many beautiful, wonderful Christ followers who worship all around the world in many different ways. In our own Bible, we have Jude, which quotes Enoch. Enoch is only used by the Ethiopian churches. Do you know that? Now, there's a lot of good apologetics, which I'm not going to get into today, as to why this is not a concern and why this is not a problem. Truth about God is, is everywhere. But it's good for us to know that it's there. This is what I said. Remember in the beginning when I gave all my disclaimers? This is about opening our eyes. We should be well aware of how our Bible came to us. We should be well aware of what others who profess the name of Christ, where their understanding is coming from. We should be well aware of what unites us and what is the Lord over all of these things so that we can press forward in the sole foundation of he who is Christ, who he who saved us all. So we have to ask ourselves very seriously, is the Orthodox Church, the Eastern Orthodox, the Ethiopian Church, the Roman Catholics, they are brothers and sisters in the kingdom, in the sacred community. Or are we trying to make our own? Are we the gatekeepers of what is real and true and what is right in making the sacred community? We have, in our church, an ancient faith being realized and manifested today. That is our sacred community. It spans countries and languages, cultures and traditions. Ephesians 4, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Praise God. This is true and trustworthy. But church, we need each other. The kingdom's a big place. What we tend to see today is hyper-centralized around one gifting and one manifestation, that we're at a teaching church, that we're at a, a healing church, we're at a, at a community church. I don't think that this is the healthiest model. Because when we focus on just doing this one thing and we, when we leave those things for the other community, well, we don't care for the poor here so much, but there's a church down the road that does. Well, we don't, we don't really practice the gifts here, but you know, there's a church down the road that does. Whenever we do that, I think we're not allowing the kingdom of God to be fully what it's meant to be in any single place. Because cooperatively, we are more. We forego the kingdom for the church. Foreign languages are also an interesting look at how the canon came about. Is God formal or familiar? We talked about Russia. I have a, a Russian Bible, and I brought it with me to Russia, and I tried to share it with Russians, and they looked at it, and they laughed. And I said, what's 
funny. I was using this trying to study my, my Russian. It said, that's an Orthodox Bible. It's very formal. Nobody talks that way. It's like giving them William Shakespeare and, and having the, this understanding of it. And I had no idea, right? High language. In our Protestant churches, do we call God daddy or do we call him thou out of reverence? And do you believe that somebody's a heretic if they go one way or the other? There are people who love the message and the shack, and there are people who think it's anathema, and they're in this room right now. (laughs) (laughs) So we understand and we appreciate the canon. There are many religious organizations that call themselves Christians, but we would not because there is a line that can be crossed, and you need to hear this and understand this, all right? This is not saying there is no line here. What I'm saying is, do we understand and appreciate what's going on here? Not everything can go. Heresy is real. Perversion of scripture is real. People want to twist and misuse and dilute or change the word of God for their own ends, and that is an evil. In the world at large, though, today, Christ's followers are not yet still in full agreement. So if we want to talk about moral, social, historical, cultural, theological differences, I don't know if we can find it anywhere more clearly than in the early church with the Jews and the Gentiles. And it might have been renewed and compounded and and made worse, maybe in the 1930s, 1940s in Germany. What makes a church a church, the sacred community, the sacred community? What distinguishes a true church from a false one? And this is actually from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. What is at stake is by no means whether our German members of our congregation can still tolerate church fellowship with the Jews. It's rather the task of Christian preaching to say, here's the church where Jew and Gentile stand together under the word of God. Here's the proof whether a church is still the church or not. He wrote this in defense of um, the word of God, practicing communion baptism, because the newly elected German chancellor, Adolf Hitler, had just said that Jews and, and, and Christians could no longer be in the same congregations together. Bonhoeffer recognized that what makes a church a church is a commitment to diversity. And he says a group that strives for ethnic homogeneity has added law to the gospel and has destroyed the church. Any group of people that does not openly welcome all ethnicities equally cannot claim to be a true church. Those who were urging churches in Nazi Germany to create separate churches for believing Jews were not preserving the church, they were destroying it. This is what Paul meant in our scripture when it says that there is not Jew or Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for we're all one in Christ. And that in our diversity, we're baptized together into one body. This is why Jesus said the defining characteristic of the church is two or three people gathered together in his name when there's no distinguishing feature except for a commitment to Christ. That's it. Two or three, because that's diversity, because we need that. The first church-wide council in Christianity was was convened to settle this question. Are there separate churches for Jews and Gentiles, or are we one church? The answer was clearly, we are one. We worship together. Uh, Mark Madison wrote about Bonhoeffer, and he says it this way. Today, while we recognize this face, uh, in theory, if not in practice, we must take Bonhoeffer's recognition of diversity as a mark of the church and expand it in two ways. First, Bonhoeffer's argument regarding ethnicity also applies to almost every other category of diversity, gender, age, socioeconomic background, education, music preferences, etc. The Bible not only talks about Jews and Gentiles, which is ethnic diversity, but also males and females, gender diversity, 
slaves and free, socioeconomic diversity, meat eaters and vegetarians, diversity in disputable matters, those weak in the faith and those strong in the faith, spiritual maturity diversity, teachers, healers, and prophets, spiritual giftedness diversity. The areas of diversity that Bonhoeffer's argument would not apply to are certain forms of theological diversity, which is heresy, and ethical diversity, sinful life choices. Point is that segregation along any lines damages a group's ability to be the church. If a group has anything else in common besides Christ, perhaps they're all lawyers or college students or white males or upper middle class families who prefer traditional hymns, this group is not a church in the truest sense of the word. Then he goes on to say, I'm not saying that a group that segregates on the basis of contemporary and traditional music can be compared to a church in Nazi Germany. Glad he clarifies that. <laughs> that expels Jewish Christians, but the theology is the same. For a church to be a church, it must embrace diversity. Second, we must extend his point to realize that a church does not simply tolerate diversity, it must embrace diversity. Early apostles said, when discussing Gentile Christians, we must not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. That's Acts 15:19. This means that a church cannot simply say, this is who we are, take it or leave it. A church must embrace diversity, which means making it as easy as possible for the diversity of people who come into our church to participate fully in the life of the community. That's a lot, all right? But like I said, it's a need and it's a definition of who we are. The big question that I said here, heretic or brother, who's in, who's out? The whole problem I have with this question though, is it calls us to focus on that edge, that defining point, where we want to be the judge, juror, and executioner. We, we want to say, you're in, you're out. In the vineyard, we make this big point about being a centered set, and that matters, because what that means is we're focusing on Jesus, not on that in or out. We allow and expect that the Holy Spirit's doing things over time, drawing people to himself. That does not mean that distinction doesn't exist. That distinction does exist. There's that time when the sheep and the goats are divided, and it's clear, and he is the judge. Because otherwise, if we try to judge, we are like the, those pearls before swine. We think about pearls before swine out of context. The context of not throwing your pearls before swine is on judgment. Because judgment's good. Because judgment is pure. Because judgment is this wonderful, precious gift. And we're so bad at it. <laughs> we're so so bad at it that when we try to judge the world, it's casting this precious, beautiful thing before swine because it's a misrepresentation of it because we're just so incredibly bad at discerning, much less judgment. And we've been trying for millennia, trying to be better judges, and we fail at it. We need him, the judge, to be who he is and to call us and to gather us. And that's why the center set matters. Okay, so those are the extremes brother or heretic, right? But I think if we look in at a more narrow point on here, it's comfort versus discomfort, all right? I think we're poor at evaluating what really matters. My grandfather, who I already discussed earlier, he offered me this wisdom. If money can fix it, it's not a problem. Uh, that's not a boast about wealth, all right? It's really not. It's an attempt to clarify what is a real problem and what isn't, right? Is, is, is you broke the TV. Is this a real problem? Can money fix it? Yeah, not a real problem, right? Car broke down. Okay, can money fix it? Yeah. Do I have the money or not? That's another question. <laughs> if money can fix it, it's not a problem. My wife left me. Can money fix it? No. 
this is a real problem. <laughs> I, I, I have done, I have failed my children. I have taught them an improper thing, and, th- and they've, they've grown rebellious, and, and they've forgotten the word of God. Is this a real problem? Yeah, it's a real problem. Money will not fix that. So you, you see, it, it's a clarifying question. It's not meant to be, oh, dismissive of these things. It's to help evaluate this whole thing. Who draws that line, though, is the question. Where is it drawn? Luke 9. Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. And this is followed up. This whole understanding of heretic versus brother, this whole embracing or, or, or excluding by then saying, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. At the one extreme, we have calling down fire from heaven. Then we have, and I don't even know where I'm going to spend the night tonight. <laughs> and people turned away from discipleship over the matter of comfort and discomfort, not just these big things. So on the big extreme, we have these things, and on the smaller scale, we still have comfort versus discomfort. When's the last time church made you uncomfortable? Maybe today. (laughs) I don't just mean a bad joke or disagreeing with a point. I've disagreed with things that have been said from this pulpit before. Maybe feeling lost. Maybe you don't know the song. You dressed wrong. Everybody else seems to understand some social cues you didn't get the memo on. Maybe getting angry, maybe growing worried. Uniformity is comfortable. It's unchallenging. And I struggle with this because if I think about what is to make the sacred community, if, if we're talking about we're all in one place on with one Lord overall, comfort then is opposed to what? You know, I, I don't want to say discomfort because it's, it's the idea that excitement is sort of what propels us to do something about it. If I am just comfortable in one place, if I'm not challenged in my faith, if I'm not brought in a different perspective, if I'm not sharpened as iron sharpened iron, we just grow fat at the banqueting table. We, we just take and consume and do nothing about it because we're comfortable. There has to be some discomfort. There has to be some edge to propel us to do something because the kingdom of God is advancing. It is reaching out to those who are not yet in here. If we're building up our walls so that we are safe and comfortable, the Lord is going to be outside those walls getting them to come back in here. That is his goal. That is his end game. And we can opt out of that by choosing our own comfort. Luther says it this way, the kingdom is to be in the midst of your enemies. He who will not suffer this does not want to be of the kingdom of Christ. He wants to be among friends, to sit among roses and lilies, not with the bad people, but the devout people, you blasphemers and betrayers of Christ. If Christ had done what you are doing, who would ever have been spared? Comfort comes at a cost. And often we're lulled into it, or we're even packaged it and sold it. We may not be aware what's been bundled up with it whenever we've gone for a, a comfortable Christian experience. This is again going to Bonhoeffer. Innumerable times a whole Christian community has broken down because it sprung from a wish dream. 
the serious Christian set down for the first time in a Christian community is likely to bring with him a very definite idea of what Christian life together should be, and he tries to realize it. But God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. Just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we're fortunate, with ourselves. This is why I love Bonhoeffer. By sheer grace, God will not permit us to live even for a brief period in a dream world. He does not abandon us to those rapturous experiences and lofty moods that come over us like a dream. God is not a God of the emotions, but the God of truth. Only that fellowship which faces such disillusionment with all of its unhappy and ugly aspects begins to be what it should be in God's sight, begins to grasp in faith and promises that is given to it. The sooner this shock of disillusionment comes to an individual and to a community, the better for both. A community which cannot bear and cannot survive such a crisis, which insists upon keeping its illusion when it should be shattered, permanently loses in that moment the promise of Christian community. Sooner or later, it will collapse. Every human wish dream that's injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. Then he says this, God hates visionary dreaming. It makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own law, and judges the brethren and God himself accordingly. He stands adamant, a living reproach to all others in the circle of brethren. He acts as if he is the creator of the Christian community, as if his dream binds men together. When things do not go his way, he calls the effort a failure. When his ideal picture is destroyed, he sees the community breaking into pieces. He becomes first an accuser of his brethren, then an accuser of God, and finally the despairing accuser of himself. <sighs> That's a lot. I'm afraid it's a description of the church. We think we know what we want. We think we know what we need. We think we're building something good, and we think that whenever I'm feeling comfortable that that's got to be God's presence among us. The truth is, reaching the lost and the least is uncomfortable. Ministry time always costs you something. Well, I, we, we joke about letting you out early so you can go beat the Baptists to the best lunch places. It's <laughs> but the truth is ministry costs you something. That's what we do in Christian community. It's not about your comfort. It's about the work of God. It's not about your testimony. It's not about your understanding. It's about the fullness of the kingdom of God. It's not about what you wish things were like. It's about the reality of what is and what he's called us to be. Here's the discomfort I want us to hear today. You're not the main character. <laughs> your story, your understanding, your testimony, as true and as valuable and as beautiful as it is, is not universal. So we should celebrate each other. I don't want us to be unexamined. I don't want us to shy away from the hard questions. Some of the things I put out there are the hard points of our faith. Let us not have an unexamined faith. I don't want us to be uninformed. I don't want us to be shallow and safe. 
because so many Christians are so ignorant about their own faith, how broad it is throughout the God's entire created world. Communities self-select, like I said before, often into a gifting or into an understanding of things because it's harder to be uncomfortable. It's harder to sit shoulder to shoulder with people who disagree with your interpretation of a text. It's harder to sit in the same room and say, I don't know that God still moves that way. And they say, yes, he does it with me all the time. Well, how can you be in fellowship together? By being the church. You don't understand spiritual gifts? Great, let's work it out in context. You think you've got it down? Great, let's work it out in context, right? That's the Christian community. How comfortable should you be? This is one of the questions I asked last week. I'd argue probably not very. <laughs> I took issue with a pastor before who said that his job was to afflict the, com- the comfortable. So antagonistic. Because we don't naturally seek that. We don't naturally seek to be provoked. Water seeks its own level. But where has comfort taken us? Does it call us to pick up, pick up our cross daily? Or do we want to put out places that are like cheers where everybody knows your name and we're always glad you came? Places where you know all the inside jokes and the pop culture references. But he is Lord over all. The conclusion that I told you I was going to finally hit. <laughs> this active discerning of recognizing heretic from believer on the continuum of comfort and discomfort. Here's the thing I want you to think. Or is it like poetry? God help me, I'm a man of both. <laughs> It's so much easier to be one or the other, to be a theologian or to be a poet. But the kingdom of God is both at the same time. It's not one or the other. And it's so hard in a sermon, I think, to adequately describe this. There's this other tweet. This isn't Tim Keller. Some of you never had to spend hours in the kitchen table crying as your dad shouts, what's three times seven? (laughs) See, math gives you a clear answer. It's nice. You can package it. I've been the dad, my kids aren't in here right now, who just says, what is three times seven? (laughs) Thinking if I say it louder or repeated enough that somehow they're going to get the right answer because it's a process. You work through the process and you come up with the end result, right? That's it. It's, it's a, you know how to get there. Not with common core. core. I have that in my notes. (laughs) Because the thing that I like about math and science, there's a right and there's a wrong. It's not about what you think maybe should work or maybe trying some new things. And I acknowledge that Common Core has brought some new methods and some other things there. Long division to me is still a very straightforward process that you know you're going to get the answer at the end. That's for another thing. <laughs> but here's the thing about the sacred community. Are we like a jury or are we like a marriage? Are we calculation or are we interpretation? Allow me to say, and this is not hedging, we're both. We're both at the same time, and we don't know how to do that well. That's why this is hard. This is not easy. The sacred community is fought for, and it's beautiful when it's realized. But it's not this wish dream. It's not this ideal. It's not this, this thing that we think we can just come up with and just say, oh, everything's going to be bright. If everybody just agreed with me, everything would be fine. It's hard, and it's beautiful, and it's worth it. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. 
all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phygria, and Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? It could have been that God gave them all a new language. Could have been that he gave them all the, the understanding of, of the tongues of angels, which we have Paul talking about. But no, we hear him in our own language. And Luke seems to enjoy listing the places around the world where people were from. You know why? <coughs> because it mattered. Because they mattered. Because they were being reconciled and being called into the sacred community. It wasn't join the Jews here and everybody becomes and it's like a cookie cutter put upon them and everybody's the exact same cookie cutter. It's not the way it worked. He celebrated who he called. So we're going to take communion in response to this. Ethan, you can come on up. Communion is not just with those of us in this room. I think we are joining with the saints all around the world. Those who understand and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord of all. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I asked Ethan for a classic hymn for this. Because, you know, we're vineyard. We have our own music label and all sorts of things like that. But there's something beautiful about knowing when Amazing Grace is being sung, we are joining the choruses around the world. And over time, the demonstration of the church at large, greater than Holly Springs, greater than North Carolina, greater than the vineyard, greater than what my own understanding of this might be, greater with those who have come out of slavery and into freedom, those who have crossed national borders and who have learned new tongues, those who have come from an orthodox or Catholic understanding and who have now shared into this, this common table with us, those who go the other way, and acknowledge that Christ is Lord of all. Praise God that he is Lord of all. So as we sing, you can come to this table. Take bread. Remember that Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, gave thanks and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Same way after they had eaten, he took the cup, gave thanks, and said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. This table is bigger than us, and you're welcome at it. Amen.